Can the church say amen? amen. I want to thank our youth choir for such a marvelous job. Before we go into the radio welcome, I wanted to let after our sermon. I want to take this opportunity to welcome first and foremost our listening audience at KKVV 1060, uh, listening on the AM dial. We are thrilled to have you listening in today and uh, sharing with us with our service here at the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church. Also, I want to welcome those who have been watching who are regular viewers online at www.abundantlifelv.org. We're always thrilled to have new visitors, new listeners, and our prayer is that you may one day join us here live at the Abundant Life Church. We are still located at 1720 North J Street. And you may call us, if you so desire, at 702-647-2627. Or write to us at 17 Abundant Life SDA Church, 1720 North J Street, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89106. We have been blessed to have our senior pastor with us, sharing the message with us on these uh, previous weeks. He's here today once more with another soul-stirring message, and this time it's entitled, What If God Is Not Happy With Our Praise? And so we are thrilled, we are prayed up, and ready to hear what God has placed upon his heart to share with us as a church family. I invite you. To grab your Bibles and also to join us as we worship our Lord and Savior, led by Senior Pastor O'Neill Madden. Before we hear from him, we will be favored with another selection by our adult choir, the Abundant Life Choir. Then we will hear from none other than our Senior Pastor O'Neill Madden. Hear ye him.
Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we came here today to hear from you. In the midst of this city, people wandering to and fro, traveling here and there, doing their own business, at ignoring your business. We're here in church. Lord, we gather here people from broken homes, broken relationships, broken people, Seeking an answer, we come to your throne even now, Lord. We want to hear from you. But even, even as we come, Lord, the question is asked, what if God is unhappy with our praise? What if God is unhappy with the way we live? What if God is unhappy with what we show here and what we're doing at home? What if God is unhappy with what we're presenting as acceptable? What if God is unhappy? Lord, I'm asking that you will come here in a special way. We want to hear from you, Lord. We want you to touch down here today in this church. Lord, we are your people. And we're here to hear a word from you. If there's anything, Lord, as myself, as a mere mortal, has organized and to present to this church, if it is not your word, Lord, please don't let it be heard. We want your word to be heard today. Speak through me, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What if God is unhappy with our praise? The scripture tells us in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter on. Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. I think I need a little more juice here. Not hearing myself. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. If there's ever a text in the Bible that I tremble at, that shakes me, 
is this text. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Where we see, it says, Be not deceived. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Are we deceiving God today? Did we come to church today pretending that everything is all right? Or are we deceiving God today? Are we trying to fool God by presenting this public image this image that shows that everything is all right, but inside you're rottening. We are rottening. Are we trying to fool God today? Are we trying to mock God as if he doesn't see? As if he doesn't see what is happening in your homes? As if he doesn't see the example that you're showing your children? Are we fooling God? The Bible tells us that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It is so strange that as a people, we, 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 are, we are caught in this mold where we think that we could, we, 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 could, we could plant something and get something else out of it. If you plant melons you're not going to get tomatoes. You're not going to co or go on a, on a peach tree and pick an apple. Whatsoever you sow, that shall he also reap. And what we got to understand in all of this is that God understands and he sees. And somehow we think that we can fool God. Church, I have a burden on my heart. I have a burden on my heart, and as I'm thinking here, you know, one thing that God has always impressed upon me, you know, if you can't keep it real, if you can't tell the truth, you don't deserve to preach. You're in the wrong profession. One of the things I'm understanding that over the years that whenever I find myself in a com compromising setting where I'm compromising the truth and I'm pandering just to be the popular preacher, just to be that brother or the elder that everyone loves, you know, God always comes and slaps me upside my head. You know, I remember one day my grandmother... And she taught me well. My beloved grandmother, Ethelyn Madden, way back in Jamaica, uh, from a, a youth, she taught me to tell the truth. She taught me to stand up for the truth. And she taught me to reverence God's sanctuary. And one time I remember I was in church and I was doing my own thing when we had to be sitting in the front of the church. 
And while I was doing my own thing and the preacher was doing his own thing, led by the Holy Spirit, I didn't know what he was saying. But my grandmother, she was observing the preacher and she was observing this future preacher, which was me. And she observed that I was fooling around and I wasn't listening. I wasn't paying attention to the message. I was mocking God as a kid. I was fooling around. I was just enjoying myself, chitter-chattering in front of the church. And my grandmother came and I just felt a hand beside my ear. And my cousin, he felt a hand beside his ear and our heads met together. And I'm, I'm telling you, we never talked in church ever again. We can't mock God. Some of us, we come to church just like myself, fooling around, just playing the fool, dress up all nice and all of that, but you know that you are a tyrant at home. You know that you don't have that connection and your kids know it. I am sick and tired of meeting young people, young men and young women, and say, well, you don't know my dad. You don't know my mom. They may look good in church and sing in the choir and all of that, but you come home at a certain time and listen. Be that fly on the wall. And you will see who that Christian is that deaconess or that deacon or that elder or even worse I heard it one time that pastor we're not in excluded from it God wants real worship from us he wants real praise from us God doesn't want this fake stuff he wants the real deal and no wonder some of our homes are crumbling before our very eyes crumbling. Church, before we could ever think that we could be so empowered to take over the city, we got to fix our homes. We got to fix ourselves. We got to have the right focus. We have to have nothing between our souls and our Savior. It has to be Jesus and Jesus only, number one. You can't be thinking that, listen, I'm a, a, a Bible-baptized Christian going to heaven, and you're going around the casinos and, and gambling away your money and, and, and fooling around with all these uh, silly women or these silly men. Uh, the Bible does talk about these silly people, right? And we got to understand that God has, he has a way. And, and he wants us to walk in that way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. If he is the way, why are we fooling around with all the other ways? Church, we got to get it together. It is time for us to end the shacking up lifestyle. It is time for us to get our lives together. Jesus is coming. We're acting like there is no Jesus coming. We're acting like we're coming to a social club every week. 
And that's what it is. We're coming to a place to sing some songs and just enjoy a little fellowship and all of that. But then we go, let me go back into the world of sin and enjoy sin for a season. Because, you know, see you later, sister. I'll see you Sabbath. We may not see the next Sabbath. It is time for God's people to get it together. We had a radical preacher that came on the scene about 2,000 years ago. And this preacher, he didn't go to the universities, the seminaries that the ordinary preachers back then went to. Uh, this bush preacher, this preacher that came out of nowhere, they didn't know who he was. He wasn't on their radar. He was not in the running to be the head of the synagogue. He was not in the running to pander to, the, to, to uh, the, 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 the rulers of that day to be friends with them. He was a unique preacher. And this man came and he was preaching things that they didn't understand. He was uncovering truths from the, the Old Testament that they didn't even understand back then. And they were asking, where does this man come from? What school did he study from? They didn't realize that there was such a thing as a Holy Ghost that taught people things that they didn't understand. And so this preacher, Jesus Christ, came into Jerusalem and he turned Jerusalem upside down. But you see, what was interesting about Jesus, he did not use the methods that the church then was used to. You see, the church back then, they just wanted to look at people and judge them and find something wrong with them and, and excommunicate them from the church. You know, I always say as a youth growing up, whenever I see someone drop from church or someone censured from church and there is no follow-up, that's excommunication. We don't want you in church. You are, you are too bad for us. We don't want you. And so we bar the doors. Our church needs to be a church that welcomes everyone. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Our church needs to be a hospital. It needs to be a hospital. A, a hospital that directs people in the right way and helps them directly. You know, some of us, we think that we come to a hospice. You know? But this is a hospital. This is a place for sinners. This is a place where we come to be healed. This is a place where we are troubled in the world. We need to come to church and we don't want anyone to be judging us. This is a place where we should come free, knowing that we're meeting God and knowing that we're rubbing shoulders with godly people, not people that's going to look over us and judge us. Church, it is high time. It is high time for us to get it together. You know, sometimes I'm, I sit with some young people and they start complaining about the adults and if this was that and if that was this. And I'm asking, what about you? Didn't God give you the propensity to have a relationship with him? So many times we lock our heels in and we're blaming the adults. 
Not realizing that Joel chapter 2 verse 28 says that I will pour my spirit down upon all flesh. The young and old. God wants everyone, young and old, to be filled with the Holy Ghost. When the Lord comes back again, he says, will I find faith in this earth? Will I find faith? Is he going to find faith in your house? Or is he going to find anarchy? Is he going to find confusion? Church, it is time for us to consecrate ourselves to God. There's a statement that I picked up a few years ago and never forgot it. In fact, we had to memorize this in the seminary. And this statement found in the Ministry of Healing, page 143. And if we want success in our family, if we want to have success in our church, there's a method. There is a method. And listen to what it says. The Savior's method alone will give true success in reaching people. How many of you are interested in Jesus' method? How many of you truly? You want to reach your children at home? This is the method. You want to reach your wife? This is the method. You want to reach your husband? This is the method. You want to reach your co-workers? This is the method. You want to reach your teacher, students? This is the method. The Savior's method alone, alone. It is not Rick Warren. It is not Billy Graham. It is not James Dobson. It is, it is not John MacArthur. It is, it, is, it is not Mark Finley. It is Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching people. And check this out, what Jesus did. This is what this radical preacher did when he came to Jerusalem. This is what he did. It says he mingled with men as one who desired their good. Jesus was a mingler. It didn't matter who you were. You could have had some disease. He mingled with you. Jesus, he didn't care. If you were a little child, Jesus was mingling, getting to know you. What is your name, sister? Huh? Helen. Helen. You see, Jesus mingled with people. As one who desired their good sister, what is your name? Guadalupe. Guadalupe? Amen. He mingled with individuals as one who desired their good. He did not go to the rich only. He did not just hang around with the influential people. Jesus mingled with one, with people, as one who desired their good. It's a sad situation when individuals come to church and they can't mingle with one another. I'm not talking to that sister over there because she stole my husband 20 years ago. Right? Right? Mingle. Right? Mingle. I'm not talking to that brother over there because look at, you know what? He gossiped on me and told some lies. Right? Mingle. Jesus didn't care about those things. 
He mingled with men as one who desired their good. That's the, the mingling aspect of it. Whether you're a sinner, whether you are a saint, or whether you're an ain't, it don't matter. Jesus is mingling. And that's what he did. Pharisees he talked to. Right? Publicans he talked to. Those that were sick and afflicted he talked to. Those that had leprosy, the equivalent of AIDS, he talked to. He mingled with men as one who desired their good. Mingling. Church, we got to learn to mingle. We got to learn to mingle with the young and the old. Everyone. There should not be no barrier or walls established or set up in the church. You know, some people, they come to church and they have their own seats, their cubicles, and they set their seats up and they're not looking to the left or the right, right? They're coming to church and they're locked up in their pride. This is my family bench. And some people are even angry when people are sitting in their seats. Huh? We got to understand this is a whole thing where we got to come together and we, we got to come together as one understanding that it's a mingling thing. We got to mingle and get to know one another. Instead of judging one another, walk in a one another's path. Understand what that person is going through. Understand their situation. And when you understand that person's situation, then you will have a greater understanding of what they went through. Mingling. Mingling. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. People, we got to learn to mingle. We mingle over lunch. We mingle when we visit one another. Mingling. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. But check this out. In mingling, he showed his sympathy for them. He showed his sympathy. And it was not just like, well, sister, brother, I'll pray for you. The other day, I was at Walmart. My wife had commanded me to pick up some things for this house that we are trying to get together over here. Thank God for... Um, iPhones and stuff like that. I have to be taking pictures and sending to her and says, is this okay? Is the color okay? By the, <laughs> by the way, my wife and daughter sends their greetings, right? And, and so I, I'm taking pictures and sending it and uh, chairs and uh, bedroom sets. And I'm trying to get things together and, you know, you know because, you know, if you, men, if you don't get it right, right? You don't want to have an angry wife, eh? And, and so she would not show sympathy, right? And, and so I, while I'm doing that now, the, it got very late, you know, and I was going out to, I put the stuff in my car, and I was just about to take off. Then I saw this woman appeared out of nowhere. She actually shocked me, and I'm like, and she says, Please, sir, please, I, I don't normally do this, but I am stuck. You see, I work at the store here and, and so forth, but I, I, I got myself in trouble here, and I, I need to get home, and I have no bus fare. And I was like saying, you know, in the back of my mind, I said, yeah, right. 
You think you're going to fleece me out of my money? You must be joking, right? And normally, I'm a guy that don't travel with cash, you know, because sometimes you get yourself in this situation, and I tend to be sometimes too generous, and I come home empty-pocketed. But on this occasion, I did have some cash, but I didn't have $5. So I said to her, well, I don't have any change. And she says, well, you know, there's a gas station over there, you know, can you? And, and, and I said, oh, man, all right, okay. You know, so, you know, in myself, I said, well, you know, okay, the gas station over there. So I was about to drive up, and she said, can I come in the car with you? And I'm like, oh, boy, you know. So I said, Lord, SOS, what do I do? What do I... So I said, okay, you know, you could come. And I quickly drove her to the gas station, you know, and she got out quickly. And I lock all my doors and I'm watching to see if anyone's following me because, you know, sometimes this is a setup, you know. And I'm just saying, okay. But I sent that SOS and the Lord says, okay, you know, go ahead. And I went in, and I took out a 20, and I gave it to the cashier, and I said, can I have some fives? And I took the five, the change, and I gave it to her. I gave it to her because I saw something in her. I saw something, and I had sympathy. I saw that, you know, sometimes... There is a request made, and sometimes these people are trying to take you, right? And you got to be careful. And I'm saying, don't use this as a blueprint. But I had to seek for some answer, some guy. And I saw, so I said, okay, sister. So I gave her the money, and she thanked me, thanked me, thanked me, and she ran off into the dark. And I said, well, I'm out $5.00 but I know that that blessing will come. It's going to come back again, but I didn't give it to get it. Understand. We need, as a people, to show sympathy. Sympathy. We got to understand. And I'm just thinking, this woman, perhaps she has a child. Perhaps she, she has, she's going through a trial, and just one act of kindness may just turn her day around. Maybe. And I said, oh, by the way, I invite you to our church. And she said, what church is that? And, she, and I said, it's the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm the pastor of the church. And she said, okay, I will, I will try. I don't know if I'll ever see her again. But that was it. As a people, we need to show sympathy. I'm getting to the meat of the message. Hold on. I know time is running out. We started a little late, but hold on, please. Hold on to your seat. It says that he ministered to their needs. He ministered to their needs. You know what it means to minister to someone's needs? You know, when you are, you're not just taking care of a need. You're ministering to someone's need. So someone comes and they say, brother, can you pray for me? Right? And this is what we do normally, right? 
we say, okay, brother, we, I'll pray for you. All right, all right. And then we go on our way, and you know what we do? We forget it. We forget that, you know, the brother asked to be prayed for, and so we forget it. You understand? What we are talking about ministering to their need is that if a brother comes and says, pray for me, right? That brother will hold your hands. And you will think that, well, well, let me go. He said, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ministering to your need. The minister in it is, it is taking it to the next level. Where you say, brother, I'll pray for you. Um, let us kneel right now. And, and the ministering is this. Like, well, brother, let me see. Um, well, what are your needs? What are your needs? And so getting to the nitty-gritty, getting down to it, brother, what are your needs? Okay, well, you know, I, I can't pay my rent this month. You know, or I'm having trouble with my teenager or whatever it is. And that request, you get into the person's life. You're ministering to that person. You are getting down to it. You're not just tapping that person and saying, you know, like a tag, plain tag, you are ministering and you pray for that brother and you seek for a way to answer the prayer. But too many times we are like that. We're, we don't want to get involved in, in a situation. You know, we don't want to engage ourselves. But Jesus was one that engaged. He didn't just touch and go. He got involved in the life of individuals. Ministering. Now, some of you will be shocked because I believe in active ministry as a pastor. I don't believe in just touching a member and just going, I want to know you. What is your experience? Where you came from? Why did you come to Vegas? What are some of the things that challenges that you face and all of these things? Ministry. Getting involved in ministry. Getting into servant ministry. We've heard the term before right? Jesus was like that. He was not just some preacher that got up and preached on Sabbath and you didn't see him in the week, right? Jesus was a, a minister that got into the mud with you and got you out of your mess and whatever. Jesus actively ministered. It's not no passive ministry. You got to understand. And so Jesus, he was like that. And so he wants to get to know you. It's a relationship. I want to get to know some of you. And some of you will say, well, I don't want pastor in my house, right? You know, you don't want pastor to see your mess, right? Well, I don't care about your mess, right? I care about you. And so I'll come wherever you are. I want to learn about you. I want to understand what, what, you are, what you're going through, the challenges, all of that, so that we will be able to actively minister to get you from here to where you ought to be. This is what Christ is all about. And so he ministered to their needs. As a church, our leaders that we've elected for next year, whether you're deacon, elder, whatever it is, it is active ministry. There's no passive ministry. And as we see these ministry going through the months, it is our job as leaders to observe and say, no, there's some passivity happening here. We may need to change people. 
We want to have active ministry. We want to have all members to be active. If you are a member of this church, the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church, you have to be active. There's no passive membership. If a member asks to be transferred from another church to come here because they hear a lot of things is happening, one of the things I would like to employ is that how would you like to, where would you like to serve in the church? What area? We want everyone active. The other day, our dear beloved sister, right there in the hat, in the purple hat, I don't remember your name, sister, in the wheelchair. You bless my heart. Sister, Sister Grace, Mother Grace, Mother Grace, uh, after I finished preaching, everyone getting active and so forth, we went over for, uh, went over for lunch. And sister came up and she said, Pastor, and she pulled me down. And she says, listen, I want to be used. I want to be used in whatever capacity. I may be in this wheelchair here, but I could make calls. That's what we're talking about, active ministry. You understand what I'm talking about? Everyone, and some of you have your two well-long legs, arms and everything, and you're sitting down in the pew doing nothing, right? And God wants everyone, every one of us, to be active for the master. Amen? Amen? And so, it says, the next one, after doing all of these things, mingling, showing sympathy, and ministering to their needs, after that, you know what happened? He won their confidence. After you do that for someone and they realize that, hey, man, that's the real deal. You know, I was talking to some young people from this church who are not coming to this church again. And I asked them a question. I said, well, who do you relate to in the church? And I'm going to reveal somebody's name. Just, you know, they told me a number of names and all of these things. But once... Once they hit to a name, they were able to say, That's, that guy is a real deal. If there's anyone going to heaven, it's him. And, and they came and they told me that this guy, he's not here, but, you know, uh, Brother Adrian. They said, yeah, man, that, that guy, he's a real deal, right? They said, you know, you know that Adrian even called me last week. I said, well, Adrian is in Jamaica. They said, yeah, that's what we mean. He called and prayed for us. You know, and I'm like, whoa, can you imagine that? Won their confidence. We need to win confidence. And this is what it's all about. Jesus was given a situation like this in the book of John chapter 8. And I'm going to just wind down with this here, but I want us to get the message, please. Understand. It's taken a little while. I prefer that we end our service at least around 12.30. We're working on it. For those of you that's listening over the airways, yes, we're working on it. My wife, yes, we're working on it. We're going to work with the time. But as you're turning to John chapter 8, Jesus was given this situation. And this situation fell in his lap. Jesus was in church teaching, and he was preaching. 
it was a similar situation like this. And here the church is going on and Jesus is in his, in his element teaching and preaching. And it says in verse 1, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, verse 2, early in the morning, he came again to the temple. And all the people came unto him and he sat down and he was teaching. He was teaching the people. And the people were, they were just enjoying the word. Jesus was preaching and everyone knew that the word is going out and they're coming to hear the word. In verse 3, it says, And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. We caught this woman. We got a sinner now. Yes, we set up our CSIS and our spies. Now, CSIS is Canadian spy agency, but I guess I have, I'm in the U.S. now. It is the FBI, right? Or the CIA, right? The CIA. So they set them up and they got this woman. We got her in adultery. Yes. And we have to apply the law. This woman, she sinned. We got this teen. She sinned. She has committed fornication. We caught her. Yes. She got herself pregnant. Yes. We have this man, we found him fooling around in the casinos. Yes, we caught him or her in the very act. Now the law states that, and the scribes and the Pharisees are talking now, right? And they're saying now, and it says, and now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what saith thou? What do you say, Jesus? This is the law. It is in the law of Moses. It is written. It is in the church manual. It is in the church manual and it has to be done this way because it is written in the manual. And this person needs to be stoned, needs to be dropped, needs to be disciplined. The mingling, Jesus. The sympathizing, Jesus, the one who shows and responds to the needs of others by ministering to them and winning confidence, what does Jesus do? Immediately when he heard this, they said again, tempting him, that they might have uh, uh, an occasion to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down. And with his finger, he wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So Jesus now, remember, Jesus was sitting, teaching the people. He was teaching the people and teaching, teaching, and they were hearing the word and everything, and they were enjoying it, and they disturbed the teaching of Jesus by bringing this woman because that was of the utmost importance. Forget about what Jesus was teaching. We don't know what he was teaching. They disturbed it, right? And so this woman is standing in the midst. 
and the Pharisees, they are, yes, the law of Moses says this, or Emmanuel says this, such should happen, and this would happen, and whatever it is, we have to maintain the integrity of the church, or else, you know what's going to happen? We're going to have hell break loose in Vegas. So we got to do it. And so Jesus now, after hearing them pestering him, Jesus comes and he stoops down. And with his finger, he starts to write. He starts to write. Now let me ask you, when someone stoops down, what is the posture of someone stooping down? What is the meaning of that? Prayer, or let me say intercession. They don't know that Jesus, he was stooping down, and with this act of stooping down, he was interceding for the woman, he was interceding for those Pharisees, he was interceding for the entire world. Jesus was writing down even the very sins of these men. And he was writing down and he was interceding for them. Now understand what I'm saying. Whenever God writes, there is something in it. Do you remember when God wrote the first time? Huh? Moses went up on the mountain and the stone was set up and God... Thou shalt not, thou shalt not remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. He wrote, the finger of God wrote on the stones, the Ten Commandments. And on stone that is permanent, that is lasting, that is forever. Matthew chapter 7 verse 17 says, Not one jot or one tittle shall be removed from my law until all shall be fulfilled. It is forever. God's law stands forever. But here they were grappling over the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law. This woman should be stoned. Understand what I'm saying, people. And so, here we see now, Jesus is writing in the sand. But we see the Ten Commandments carved in stone. Check this out. In the book of Daniel, another time when Jesus, when, when God wrote, remember? When these men were frolicking in the sanctuary, in, in, the, in the feast. And uh, in the, the banquet hall, and they called for those precious vessels that was taken from the temple of Jerusalem. Bring those vessels to us that we will drink. And they were drinking from the sacred vessels. And as they drank, they were having fun with their orgies and everything and just having a great time. And all of a sudden, a hand was dispatched from heaven and drifted across the room and wrote on the wall, Mini, mini, tackle your forcing. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Judgment came on Babylon that day. Judgment came to the house of, of Belteshazzar that day. And the Medes and the Persians came in and took over the city took over the city, and Babylon was no more. Judgment came on. God wrote on the walls. 
But here we see Jesus now in the form of intercession, kneeling down, and he is writing down the very sins of these individuals. Now see what the text says in verse 6. We see, and they said, tempting him, that they might accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. And so when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Understand what's happening now. Jesus, he moves from the posture of intercession and he stands up. And what is standing? When a king stands... What does that mean? It's authority, but what else? Judgment. Judgment upon the wicked. And Jesus stands and says, well, let he that is without sin cast the first stone. And check what happens after that when he says this in verse 8. And again, he stoops down on the ground, interceding. He says it to them, but Jesus is still interceding for these sinners. Would they get it that Jesus wants to save them? He wants to save the woman. He wants to save the entire world. But some of us come to church and we think that it's all about us. It's about me. It's about the way I look. It's about my image. It's about all of this. It's not about you. It's all about God. It's all about the vindication of God. And you come to church fooling around, knowing that you're in your mess and God wants to save you. Yeah, you came to hear the word preached and everything and go back home, but God wants salvation in your home. But we're fooling around. We're in a city of sin. God wants, he's placed you in the city that sin will expire from the city. You don't understand that. You don't understand that you have a purpose here. But we come with judgment. We come with our rules. It's not about our rules. It's not about our judgment. It's about love. It's about getting to know people. Do you know what I went through? Do you know you're disciplining me, but do you know that I am in my mess at home and I have to go through struggles and tribulations and all of these things and I'm struggling to make it through? Yes, and I messed up, but nobody is there to support me. My parents are not supporting me. My husband is not supporting me. My wife is not supporting me. And But yet we come with judgment. Before we judge, show mercy. God wants real Christianity from us. Folks, we got to get it real. It's not fooling around. Jesus is coming back again. It is not about you. It's about the vindication of the character, the character of God. And I'm telling you the truth. If we don't get it together... If we do not get it together and drop the ball in this generation, you're not going to have anybody to carry on the work 
It is not about your leadership. It's not about any of that. It's garbage. It's garbage. God, he wants the true worshipers. As it says in John chapter 4, he wants those true worshipers to come. And it has to start now. As we finish this up. After Jesus had done this. And we could start. And he stooped down, interceding for them. Verse 9. And they which heard it were convicted. They were convicted by their own conscience. And they went out one by one, beginning with the elders. The older people, the old people that were hit with this message first. They recognized that, yes, man, look at how much sin I have. And these old people, these old Pharisees, they ran out of there because they were afraid that Jesus was going to expose them. And it says, with the, even with the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself, he saw none but the woman. And he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. No man, Lord. Jesus said unto her, Neither do I, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, the Son of God, the great Messiah, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. How many of you want the light of life? If you want the light of life, I'm asking you to stand. The light of life. Some of us have been walking in darkness. Jesus wants to clean you up. Some of you know you're in some situation that needs to be cleaned up and you know that you should be getting things together, getting your life together. This is a serious thing, everyone. There are people right now in our midst that know that you need to get your life together. It could be a home. It could be a situation, a living situation. Whatever it is, there is mess. And you need to get your life together. 
We're not here to judge you, but we're here to offer solution. And that solution is Jesus Christ. If you feel, first of all, that you want to take that step, you want to say, Lord, listen, I have enough. I'm giving it over to you, God. If this is your desire, I'm asking you to press to the front. This is no playing time now. You want to consecrate your life to God? You want to say enough? I'm surrendering all. The Lord is calling. And he doesn't want you to linger. He wants you to come. There are individuals that need to be baptized. To surrender your life to Christ. I'm encouraging you to come. Young person, the Lord is asking you to come. You know you need to be rebaptized. The Lord is asking you to come. It is time. It is time for you to say that this is it. I'm giving my life to you, God. And I don't care who is going to say boo. Come. I'm inviting you to come. The Lord is asking you to come. Will you not come? Will you not surrender your life? Will you not say yes to Jesus? Praise God. Will you not let Jesus be the one, the only one in your life? I'm asking you to come. Church, you don't have to worry about anything, everyone. Just let God. Be your leader. Come to the Lord today. If you know somebody. <clears throat> within the audience, fellow traveler, fellow Christian, assist them to the front. We want to have a prayer. And this is a real prayer of consecration, a prayer of deliverance. Just bring them to the front. We want to pray.
as we are have silence now I want the Holy Spirit to do his work yes. what if God isn't happy with our praise for a few moments I'm just asking that no music I'd like the Holy Spirit to speak to somebody in this place I'm holding out here because I believe that there's somebody that God, he wants to speak to. And he is speaking to you. But this is your time. Your time to surrender. To surrender to him. As you close your eyes, church, I'm inviting you Everyone in this space, search your heart. Know where you stand. The Lord is calling someone, someone else. He's calling you to come. Surrender your life right now. Right now. Right now. Don't delay. Right now. Right now. Don't delay. Praise the Lord. Don't delay. The Lord is asking you right now, surrender your life. Surrender your life right now. Don't delay. Do not delay. It's life or death. Yeah. You could think that I'm forcing. I'd rather force and get someone in the kingdom of God right now. There's someone holding out. A young person, an older person, come forward. Yes, you have been around all these years, but it don't matter. God, he wants you now. He wants you on his team now. Won't you come? Church, close your eyes. Won't you come? The Lord is calling you today. Tomorrow will be too late. He's calling you today. Today. Praise the Lord. Today. Today. Don't delay. Praise the Lord. Please. There's someone that needs to be rebaptized. Today. The Lord is calling you. Won't you come? Praise the Lord. You know, it makes me sad when I... When God is... He is appealing to us. And we buckle our heels, our shoes, and we said no. Are you saying no to God? God wants you now. Sister, my dear brother, it's time. Young or old, he wants you right now. We're about to pray. I'm asking you 
Bible workers and pastor, just press together. Bring them all together, please. Press together. There's someone that needs to be in this circle. Hold hands, please. Hold hands. There's someone that needs to be in this circle right now. Give your heart to the Lord. Give your heart to the Lord. There is one more person. One more person. There is one more person that the Lord is touching. He is touching you and he's pulling you. You need to get your life together. You need to get your family together. It's going to be too late. Remember Lot. Those angels came down to Sodom and Gomorrah. And they were begging, begging, come. And they had to pull them out of the city. There is a call in your family. A family needs to be saved. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Eternal God in heaven, every single one of us have fallen. Every single one of us, we have sinned. We have fallen away from you, Lord, and none of us is righteous. There's only one righteous, and that is Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we come today in this assembly, we ask, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to touch down and touch each and every saint that is standing here. We're standing here because we're standing for our families. We're standing here because we don't want the devil to play with us anymore. We don't want to pander to the devil's ploy anymore. We want to surrender our lives to you. And so, Lord, we pray that you will heal the couples, heal the families, heal each and every one of us here, Father, that when you come back again, we will be able to stand and say, Lo, this is our God. I pray, Father, that you'll anoint each and every individual that came up here. You know their needs, Lord. You know where they are in their Christian journey. I pray, Father, that you'll give them strength, Lord, to overcome the devil and his tricks. I pray that you will set a hedge of protection around them, Lord, and that you will anoint them and, and fill them, Lord. Oh, Lord, please, we pray for deliverance. We pray for your movement, Lord. We pray, Lord, that as we are in this very city, Lord, that you will cause such a tidal wave of revival that it will spread right across the city. And that you, Father, you are bigger than Vegas. You are bigger than Nevada. You are bigger than the United States. You are bigger than this world. And so, Lord, we ask that we will have more of you and less of us. And that the devil's reign will end in our lives. Lord, take control, Lord. Take control of your people. Possess your people, Lord. Move in this place, Lord. 
Heal the leadership of this church. Heal each and every one of us, Lord, that we will have love. Show us how to mingle. Show us, Lord, how to have sympathy one with another. Show us how to minister to others. And Lord, please, we want to win the confidence of your people. Please, Lord. Let your spirit reign. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you, Lord, and adore you. We give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. We pray these things only in the name of Jesus Christ, through the power and the person of the Holy Spirit, unto the Father. Amen. What a message, amen. amen. Soul-stirring message. Our senior pastor's final prayer will serve as our prayer of dedication and benediction. This time, I invite you to sit quietly for a moment of meditation while the ushers will wait on us.